Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, in the name of thy Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we approach thee in prayer with faith, knowing that it is for thy glory that we are gathered together. We pray and we ask, Heavenly Father, give us a message this evening from thy word. Each one of us, we need to hear from thee. Do it in spite of thy servant, do it through thy servant, do in whichever way pleases thee best and gives thee the most glory. But we pray and we ask, Heavenly Father, thy spirit will speak, that it would not be just emotions moved, O Father, but the consciences would be spoken to and touched. For this we entreat thee in Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, I'd like to read with the help of the Lord from the Gospel of John, if you wish to follow with me. A few passages beginning from chapter 12, beginning with chapter 12 of John. Let's start with verse number um, 20, 12, 20, John's Gospel. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir... We would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause... Came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Chapter 13, verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Chapter 17. Verse number one. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee.
I'm sure the Grecians who came at the time of the Passover with a desire to see Jesus didn't understand or didn't realize just how similar their request was to that of Moses. Show me thy glory. We would see Jesus, sir. Jesus, the Son of God. Scriptures record for us that this Son of God is the brightness of his glory. He is the express image of his person. He is the manifestation of the Godhead here on earth. And the, the Greeks said, we would see Jesus. Perhaps this was also a sign for our Lord as he was coming to the end of his ministry. He knew it was ordained that the gospel must first be preached to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And at this point in his ministry, the tide had changed. His popularity in the Jewish community was rapidly declining. The strength and the boldness of his adversaries was increasing. And now here were Gentiles knocking at the door. We've heard of this man, this Jesus. We want to see him. Perhaps it was a sign to the Lord that the time has come. The time has come. I've come to my own. They haven't received me. Now the Gentiles, they want to see me. The time has come for me to go. Now it might have been the Greeks came along with Uh, Philip and Andrew, and maybe they were even standing there when uh, Jesus made this response. It's possible, I'm not sure. But Jesus said this, The hour is come. The Son of Man should be glorified. And as I look at this verse, and it's evident by the verses we have read from these few chapters, that the Lord Jesus was expressing that there was going to be a moment of glorification. And as I have often read through these, uh, this passage, and I ask myself, where was the glory? Where was the glory in the chapters to come? We know that there was glory when he ascended up to the Father. What a glory, glorious sight that must have been. We can imagine the glory when the angels, when the angel was seated on the stone and he asked the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Oh, what a beautiful glory that must have been. The tomb is empty. Death has been conquered. 
We can imagine the reception that heaven gave Christ as he ascended to the Father to take his place at the right hand of the Father for you and I. We can imagine those glories. To some degree, we can imagine that. But the Lord was emphatic. The hour is come. And again, he expresses this. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And again, Father, the hour is come. Where in the next few hours was the Lord, where and when and how was the Lord glorified? Where was this glorification? How, what does it look like? Glory, as we, we, we were, um, sh- as it was shared with us last evening, the word itself gives us the understanding of something that is of great weight, of something of great value. We can think of the majesty and the splendor. We can think of those things that uh, bring us into awe as we observe the glorious things. And, you know, it's just interesting to me that Moses, who spent 40 days on the top of Mount Sinai, what a glory that was. There was fire. There, were, there was a trumpet that sounded so loud that the people were shaking. And as he was there in the midst of all of that for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was, God was speaking to his face. And after that experience, he says, show me thy glory. What glory didn't he see? Was there another glory? I believe the brothers have throughout the week touched on that, and I just want to focus our attention this, after, this, this uh, midweek, this evening service here as we come to the halfway point of Eastern Camp 2010 upon our Lord Jesus when he was glorified here on the earth. We know he was glorified after his baptism. Voice came from heaven. The Father sent the Spirit. It was an outward manifestation as God glorified him. We know the three disciples who got to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration transformed. There was a glory there. But here, the Lord knows as he is informed that the Greeks are asking after him. He has some things to say. He says, Verily, verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So a kernel of wheat sown into the ground, if it keeps its present state, doesn't lose anything, doesn't change, it just stays the way it was dropped, it remains by itself, it might stay that way for a long, long time. But if it will die, the Lord said, if it will come apart and decay and germination takes place, you will never find that seed again. But you will find much that has taken its place. And then he went on to expand a little bit more on this. For surely, at least in part, he was speaking in reference to himself as his own life here on earth was going to now come to an end, and this 
seed, this of the living word of God, who he was, was going to outwardly die, and yet it was going to spring again and bring forth much fruit over the generations and thousands of years and over the millions of people. But not only so, it also was to be the experience of not just himself, but those that followed. He goes on to expand on this point. He said, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So he begins to make the application for us as he says that those who love this world, love their own life, the things that they possess, the things that they have, those that love it and hold on to it and will not give it up, ultimately they will lose what they are holding on to. But those, he said, that hate their life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Strong language. And then yet one more step. If any man serve me, in case we have not followed what he meant up till now, he brings it right to where it's very applicable to every one of us. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Follow me. They'd have to remember that when they, reflect, when they would reflect later on where he went from this moment to follow him to the upper room, to follow him to the garden, to follow him to the cross. Let him follow me. Where I am, my servant will be next to me. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. But now is my soul troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Thoughts that would almost be repeated in Gethsemane. My soul is troubled. But where is the glory in this? Loved ones, where is the glory? I'm thankful to know that my brother and my sister, God's word in these passages speaks to us in a way that I believe is new and fresh every morning and we'll be able to help any one of us and every one of us. And there will be a lesson in the glorification of Jesus that will be good for us to take with us. I'm also thankful to know that, and I I believe that this same passage, this same message, this same lesson of the Lord, this same um, theme that we're looking at is especially relevant to our dear friends for whom we pray for this evening. And dear friend, we do pray for you. Come with me just for a few moments here, my friend, and help me to, if we can find where the glory of the Lord is. Because you have to see this too. And you have to decide is what you see is glorious or not. You know, many people, Job wrote about it, but the passage that's more familiar to us was in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 speaks about the ancient world, speaks about how those people that when they knew God glorified him not as God, 
Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they made a choice, and the choice was not to glorify Him. And so, my friend, this evening, as we look at how Jesus was glorified in His final hours and moments on the earth, you must consider it and consider well in your heart. Is this a glory? Do you see the glory in it? If you do, I praise God. And if you don't, well, the Scripture speaks about that as well. You know, because we, my friends, we were designed to bring glory to God. We were made, first of all, in His image. We know that. All of us know that. I I trust that most of us, if not all of us, believe that. That God made us, and he made us in his own image. He made us to be, what does that mean in his image? You know, I enjoy to uh, look at choirs when people are in front of us and to see the resemblance of the children's faces to their parents or to watch the conduct of the sons and daughters and, and see how it reminds me of their father and their mother. Some, that just really is a, as it brings a pleasure to me. It's just something I enjoy to see. The likeness. And God has made us in his likeness. That we would look like him. His children. We would look like his son. We would act like his son. And there is a special glory in that. A glory not that we would take for ourselves in a sense to um, become lifted up and proud. Like Lucifer did when a certain amount of glory was given to him with which to minister to his creator, but with which he also misappropriated for his own glory, and as have many after him sought to be glorified. But as we look at what Jesus experienced, I I understand what we look at here is, is there is competition. That which the enemy offers to you, the glory that he offers to you, competes with the glory that Jesus endured and experienced, and with, in which also he invites us to join him. And this, I believe, brother and sister, for myself, it is, as I prepared for tonight, uh, this thought has, has, has spoken to me, and I, and I just pray that God will help me to, to answer the call to experience the glory that Jesus invites us to experience. Remember when he was um, 40 days in the wilderness? And there in the wilderness, after he fasted for 40 days, the devil came to him and tempted him, took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And then he said, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, Satan knew why Jesus was there. Satan knew who Jesus was. I believe that. He knew that the Lord had come to reclaim the world that had fallen. It's almost as if he was saying, I'll offer you a shortcut. We can avoid Calvary and all the unpleasant. You can have the, you can have the kingdoms back. You can have the glory of the world back which I have usurped from you through man's rebellion. I have claimed the right over them, but I will give it back to you. But I want you to worship me one time. One time. 
And you know, Jesus, of course, did not accept that. But that's been a very effective temptation because it's been repeated countless times throughout the world. As he goes to many people and he shows them things that are glorious and beautiful, the riches of Egypt, as it were, which were showed to Moses, who esteemed the reproaches of Christ of greater riches and greater value and treasure than that which Egypt had to offer. But Satan does that all the time to you, my friend. He will show you things that are beautiful, things that are pleasurable, things that are glorious, things that are, that are appealing, things that you would desire. He says, I'll give that to you. I'll give that to you. But I, I want this one-time allegiance from you. I just want this one thing from you. Maybe just a moment in time, but I want it. That's a simple, small price tag for what I will give you in return. The Lord knew he was a father of lies, had nothing to do with him. But many take his lies. But where is the glory? When he said, the hour is come. The hour is come. Well, from these passages, from uh, chapter 12, he goes a few days later into the upper room. In the upper room, he's there with his 12 disciples. He shares much with them. They have the Passover together. He explains to them, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now he says this just after Judas Iscariot is excused from the room. I mean, the thing has been set in motion. The betrayal was already mapped out. And the thing is just, it's just like clockwork. It's happening. And only the Lord knows this. The disciples are clueless when it comes to this point, what's happening, really happening behind the scenes. But he explains to them, he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified, let's, let me say it this way in verse 32, it helps me. If the Father is glorified in the Son, the Father shall also glorify the Son in himself. Both will be glorified in what is about to happen. But where is the glory? He has this prayer. We refer to it as the prayer of the high, high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. The hour is now. The hour has come. But where did they go? Well, after chapter 17 comes to a close, after Jesus spoke those words, it was nighttime. The sun had set. He takes the other leaven, goes over the creek into the garden. And there he is with his disciples. Judas was looking for him. Judas found him. It wasn't hard to find him. Judas comes to him. Master, master. Gives him a kiss. Master, master. Certainly no glory in that. Shame, shameful, this betrayal of his Lord with, with, a, with a token of affection, giving him a kiss on the cheek. But in his heart, there was the clinking of the shekels of silver. Master, master, oh, loved ones, did Judas think that his kiss would blind the Lord to his murderous Betrayal that was living in his heart? How many 
think that such small tokens that look good to others that are watching can almost maybe blind the eyes of God that he doesn't see the motive and the intent of the heart? Do we come and give the Lord a kiss on the cheek to show our outward obedience and, and um, devotion, but inwardly our heart is far from him? Master, master, there is no glory in that. What happened there? Yes, there was that moment when he spoke, I am he, I am Jesus of Nazareth, and they fell backwards to the ground, and yet the mob, they had their torches, they had their weapons, with just a little scuffle there, a little sword swinging, but they took him, they arrested him, they took him to Caiaphas. There he was slapped across the face. Was there any glory in that? There he was derided, he was mocked as the enemy in the hour of darkness. He got more courage to be more brazen as they were beginning to attack. They see him in his, their power. They begin to abuse him verbally. They mock him. Where is the glory in that? Where is the glory in that? The hour has come. The Son of Man is glorified. But tell me, where is the glory? When Jesus was being beaten when they put the purple robe on him and they, they pushed the thorns on his head so the blood was coming down and they mocked him and they kneeled before him and they says, oh king, and where is the glory in that? Where is the glory when they covered his head and they beat him? Where is the glory when they spit in his face? The hour was come for the Son of Man to be glorified but I ask you, where was the glory? When they took him by his beard and they pulled it out, Isaiah said, his visage was marred more than any man. Was there glory in that? My friend, I hope you're with me and follow with me till this moment. You need to see the glorification of Jesus in these final hours. And then you must decide if it is glorious or not. After the night, when they had abused him, they stripped him of his clothes to humiliate him, make him naked in front of the people, shamefully treating him, beating his back. Oh, loved ones, where was the glory? Reminds me of when the Ark of the Covenant was taken and the sons of Eli were slain and the baby, the, grand, the grandson of the priest was born, and the mother called him Ichabod. Ichabod. Glory. The kabod. The, the weight and the essence. The majesty and the splendor. But she said, Ichabod. The glory is gone. The glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark was taken. It almost seemed in a moment or for this time that there was no glory for the Son of God in all of this or any of this. If we go back a few thousand years before, on Mount Moriah, the Father takes the Son. The Son of Promise. 
that God had told them to sacrifice Isaac. You know, there in that chapter, is it 22? We only have one word from Isaac. One word from Isaac is recorded. He said, Father, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire. Where is the lamb? Father, where's the lamb? I can only imagine the heart of the father. In faith, when he responded, but loved ones, that question that rang on Mount Moriah was answered years, years later on another mountain, the Mount of Olives. When our Lord was praying and he was sweating blood, he said, Father, if it be possible that this cup be taken from me, but not my will, thy will be done. Mount Olives answered Mount Moriah. Here is a lamb. Here is a lamb. Loved ones, the glorification that the Father had in the Son, that the Son had in the Father, was this. No one took his life from him. Even though it was preordained in the councils of eternity that the Lamb would be slain from before the foundation of the earth, yet it was a Savior who stood in the garden, who had free will, and who made a choice in that moment in time when he said to his disciples, do you not realize that I can call for legions of angels at this moment? They will not take care of these people here on Mount of Olives. They will dismantle the Roman Empire. No, he explained it in the Gospel of John when he said this. Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. This is the glory of God. In this, the Son was glorified. In this, the Father was glorified. The Son had a choice. He had a choice in Gethsemane. And his choice was in love to obey his Father. No one forced his life out of his hands. No one took it from him. My friend, he suffered on purpose for you. Because he loved you and he loves me. He suffered. And with all of these things before him that deeply troubled his soul... In his love, his love first for the Father and through the Father to, the, to the, all of his creation. He says, this is why my Father loves me. Because I lay down my life. I lay down my life. He did what Isaac was only asked to do but didn't have to do. The Lord did what only he could do. He laid down his life. This is the glory I see in this passage. In his love, in his love for those that despised him, he shed his blood for Caiaphas. He shed his blood for all of those who plotted against him. 
He shed his blood for his enemies. And we were his enemies. And my friend, do you realize that God has no... Neutral third parties. There are no third parties before God. You belong to his family. You belong to him or you do not. And he died for you because he loved you. Oh, loved ones. I'm afraid for those who come and give the master a kiss on the cheek. Say, master, master, I love you. See, I kissed you. See how much I love you? My brother, my sister, let's not be a Judas. Let's not be a Judas where we kiss the master for others to watch and then quickly fade into the background where the lights are off and no one can see how we're going to act when no one else is watching. Ezekiel had this experience when God said to him, I want to show you, Ezekiel, what is in the, mar- in, the, in the hearts and minds and the imaginations of my people. And he opens the door into the wall and they go in to the inner chambers to see what is really happening within the people and the hearts and their minds. And we kiss the master to show everybody else how much we love our Lord. We fade into the background and no one can see us. And then what happens in our minds when we turn on the internet? And we go surfing to sites and we delete the history so no one else can watch and see our tracks. What happens? Is this glory to God? Is this love for the Father? Is this loving the Son? My my dear friend, do you see the glory in this? How much he loved you? Oh, but there are many. There are many who choose a different type of glory. They see no glory in this. They see instead other things that call to them, other things that appeal to them, other things that are glorious too. And perhaps even this evening, there are some who, who think this way. I know that's glory. I know that's glory what Jesus did for me. But, and I do want that. But allow me just a little bit more of the glory that I'm currently, until I lay it down, now come to you, Lord. Oh, how many times I said, but when I serve the Lord, I'm going to really serve him. As somehow it was to uh, uh, convince my conscience that it was okay for me to say, not yet, once again. And there are many people who say, not yet, But if you see the glory in the love of God, you will respond to it. Because there is, it is beautiful. Not just the sight, but the reality of what God has done for you. He suffered for you. No one took it from him. No one forced his hand. Satan did not have power in this moment. Satan had power over the other ones that were in the room. The other ones that were, were, they thought they were in control. They thought they were in control. They were not in control. Jesus was in control. He was laying down his own life. Now they used their wicked hands, Peter told them later on, by your wicked hands you have done this. 
But they could do nothing if the Lord did not do it first. Oh, loved ones, what does the scripture say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, my friend, when we live for ourselves, when we do things our way, when we think that no one else will see, maybe, maybe that's what Judas had in mind. He had seen the Lord been delivered out of so many situations. Maybe he thought, I don't want to speculate too much, so forgive me, but maybe he thought that those 30 shekels would not be so painless after all. After all, if the man can walk on water, if the man can raise the dead, what really can these Pharisees do to him after all? I have 30 shekels. You see the love? Master, master, and gives him a kiss. But in his heart is the filthy shekels that he coveted. Just as too many, and perhaps even some, this evening, I, I don't wish to judge anyone, but we can only look in our own hearts. Who do we love? What do we love? Why do we love? Don't tell me, don't show me what you kiss to prove your love. For Judas, it was nothing. It was a sham. It was more than hypocrisy. It was worse than that. It was, it was base betrayal because his heart was cold toward God. It had not always been that way. It had not always been that way, my brother, my sister. In Psalms, it's written about this betrayal. My own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. I understand. It was foreordained that one of the twelve would betray him. Which of the twelve would betray him? That was going to be found out in the process of time. And as Satan worked, I'm sure, very hard for those three years on each one of them, he found fertile ground and a man who loved to hold the bag, Judas. My familiar friend, the man I trusted in, he betrayed me. My brother, my sister, do we ever betray the Lord? Are there other loves that compete in our soul? The glory of Gethsemane, I agree, is not, is not beautiful to the, uh, in, a, in, a, in, in the common sense of the way we would think of beautiful. But if we can see the glory in Gethsemane, if we can see the glory of what God has done for us in the expression of his love, if we can see that and agree that this is indeed glorious, oh, loved ones, I'm afraid for those who wish to take the glory. I'm afraid for those who insist on doing things their own way, for those who are not willing to follow the master, for those who insist on keeping their life the way it is, just like that grain of, of, of wheat that falls on the ground. 
They want to keep it. They don't want nothing to change. They don't want, they don't want to die. Who wants to die? They want to remain as they are. I am in control of my life. You can't tell me what to do. Who is he to think they can tell me? My mom and my dad? My uncle, my aunt? My grandpa? Whoever, the preacher? Who are they that they think that they can tell me about my life, what I'm to do? And the grain of wheat remains a grain of wheat. It remains alone. Just like ultimately every one of you who are unwilling to to see the glory, who see not the glory of God in this, you will remain a grain of wheat alone on the ground, there in the dirt. Sure, you may have many things you enjoy in your life this moment and this time that you experience life. You may be young, you may be strong, you may be healthy, you may be ambitious, you may be happy, you may be all those things. But when all that is done, you know what you have? You have yourself and nothing else. You may have a happy marriage. I don't say you don't or I don't say you won't. But in the end, that grain remains alone. And in the end, you will remain alone. You don't want to be alone. You have to see the glory in Gethsemane. My brother, my sister, again, come back to us who are in Christ. We imagine more easily the glory of eternity than we see the glory in Gethsemane. You know, we, we would like the glory in Eden, for that matter. We speak about gardens much more so than the glory in Gethsemane. But there's a different quality between the peace between the two gardens. The peace and the tranquility and the beauty and the splendor and the glory of Eden. And then you think about, about the peace of our Savior as he resigned himself one more time to his Father and in love in love for the Father first and for us as well. He said, I will obey you, Father. You're asking me this. You're asking me so much. But I will obey you because I love you. Brother and sister, I love the scene of the angel in my mind. I, I try to imagine so many times just the, the, the awesome Moment when the angel is sitting on the rock that was supposed to unseal him for eternity. And the angel says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? I, I, I enjoy that. I, I just, I just, it just thrills my soul to think of the power of God. But the power of God was in Gethsemane as well. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in our own personal Gethsemanes. When God says to us, I'm asking you to drink something for me. I'm asking you to lay down something for me. I want to see how much you love me. Abraham, take your son Isaac. Go to Moriah. Show me you love me by obeying me. Son, daughter, I'm going to take something from you. 
I'm going to change something for you. I'm going to make your life, your, allow your life to become something that you didn't want it to be. But will you love me then? Loved ones, when we find ourselves in Gethsemane, let's glorify our Father. It's a simple thing to do. In love, let's be obedient and drink the bitter cup if that's what our God gives us. The day will come when the weeping will be over because it only endures for a night. And the joy will come. And the glory in its splendor will be revealed. And it will be restored in our hearts and our souls. But while we must labor in Gethsemane, there is glory there too. If we will but see it. My friend, there is glory for you if you will see what Jesus did for you. But if you will insist on a life of glory, having known God or known about him, have chosen not to glorify him as God, but just to give a kiss on the cheek, the imaginations become vain, the foolish minds become dark, and all kinds of calamity can follow in life. Maybe not immediately. Maybe later. Maybe not in this life but in eternity. In what do we find glory? In what do we glory? We glory in this, Paul said. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross Jesus my Lord. I pray that you, our friends, would see the glory of Christ in Gethsemane